podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, the shark bait has such teeth there, and it shows them pearly white. So welcome everybody to this latest episode of Macklin's Take. Hope everybody is well. Busy time, busy time of year. Homing in on on Christmas, of course. Lots and lots of boxing up and down the country. I was at a show last night at York Hall. The first time I've been back to York Hall since December 2019. Um, That was a next-gen show, Matt, if you remember it. Richard Rappel winning the vacant British Cruiserweight title against Jack Massey and I never would have thought when I walked out of there that night that it would be that long before I got back. So it was great to be back ringside there. It was the first Wasserman Boxing Development Series. So always good to work with with Caller and Nissa. Uh, saw some good debuts, the likes of Matty Harris, Jose Stewart, uh, two lads from from up the way of our guest today. Um, Saqib Khan, another debut. Chloe Watson, who's training with Ricky Hatton, upset at the top of the bill. Harvey Horn defeated by... Um, Majiha, uh, Fajili Majiha, who came over from Tanzania. Good performance from him. So we've had quite a few upsets in British rings in recent times. And that was another one. I've got a bit of a cold, so forgive me for that. The, the Husky voice is, um, is not just because I'm trying to seduce our guest today, although he is an extremely handsome man and he has prepared himself for the podcast. He's had a shave. Uh, he's coiffured himself, everything. It is the return of the king. It's John Pegg. JP, how are you? It's good to be back. You finished just before you went into a break with me. And I know you've had a few kind of like lesser personalities on, but now it's started. Now I'm back. You know, this is the official starting back up. Those other guys. This, this is the real, these are the real relaunch. Yeah. You know, that, that was just a warm up act, weren't they? You know what I mean? People open up for Oasis, same kind of thing. So what we're talking about today. Well, what we're talking about today is we're talking about the the return of small hall boxing post-COVID because this is something that people talked about during COVID quite a lot, although maybe, to be honest with you, not enough because when boxing came back, it was it was all TV shows. It was only promoters who had TV deals who could come back. So it was Matchroom, Frank Warren, Channel 5, MTK got back up and running pretty pretty quick too. But the small hall circuit, was in cold storage and it wasn't just that you would get a kind of potential start date there were so many false starts across across the pandemic weren't there for, for all sorts of people anyone in any business trying to organize any kind of live event I can't imagine how frustrating it must have been um, a good mate of mine Alan Foley runs the Queensbury Boxing League and I, I chat to him on the phone every now and again and he was just I mean he was going crazy because he thought he had a date and then he didn't have a date and then they put it back and then he thought he could do a start on that date and then he couldn't. And, and how did you kind of cope with it all, John? Because you, you put shows on, you've got, you've got a show on tomorrow night. You've had a couple already since, since it all returned, but did you have a sense that it was better just to kind of wait until you were absolutely sure or was it impossible to wait till you're absolutely sure because certainty has been in short supply over the last 18 months no we kind of we went in as soon as possible but uh myself and tom owens we kind of put a few rules in places to protect ourselves. like a lot of people went straight in with the biggest shows possible 10 fights we went in with like five fight shows and six fight shows 
um, we made sure that they like we wouldn't have to worry about the matching because the matching. Remember what we were chatting about before, and we were saying like um, the opponents. Well, the, the 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 well as as well as truly run dry. Like we've got to fight tomorrow, and I, and I said this, and I'm trying to look at the positives. We've got to fight tomorrow where two of the home prospects are fighting each other because there is literally not enough opponents. So I turned around to the lads. I says, look, I said, it's a good fight. I says, I've got no dog in this. I says, I, I work with you both. I says, you will not fight. I said, there are no opponents. Your trainers have been working with me looking and they know there's no opponents. I says, what I'm willing to do, we'll pay you more money because obviously it's, it's not quite so, such a a usual kind of first or second fight. I says, but if you want to fight, you've trained hard, Christmas is coming, I'll give you more money, do you want to fight each other? And fair play to them, both of them took less than five minutes, come back and went, yeah, great, let's get it on. So in a positive way, remember when I says that the, the journeymen are kind of, things are happening where there's going to be less of them, those things have happened, there's less journeymen, and boxers are having to fight each other. I'm really looking forward to this fight as a fan. And I've already told both lads, regardless of result, you'll both be in the home corner on February doing the back on your same route. And I think we're going to be seeing more of this where you've got lads who are genuinely believing in the self and the trainers are are ready because some trainers just won't do it. I've spoke to promoters where I match for and I say, why don't you match two of your lads at the same weight? And they're like, oh, the trainers just won't do it. So we've got that tomorrow on our show in Birmingham. And I think it's going to be a little cracker. We've got a one and oh kid against the debut. How often do you see that? Now, if that happens more often, at least that's one little silver lining of COVID, you know, and people are having to take better fights. You know, you've seen some fights because there's less chances. People have logged up their game. There's been lots of problems, but the shows have sold well. The fans have like been ready to go. The first two shows we did have sold really well. This one tomorrow has sold really well. Our main event is an Essex kid against uh, a kid from Hull who's originally from Latvia or Lithuania. That's our main event for the English title. One of my guys pulled out against Avaldus Corsicus. Avaldus had really busted his balls to sell tickets in the away corner. Then somebody come in from Lee Eaton saying, well, he's happy to do a few tickets. I said to him, look, we're not bothered if it makes any money, but we don't want to lose any money on something that's nothing to do with us, but we're happy to make it work. Both lads have took a pay cut. And now both lads, um, you know, ready to fight with the English title. So, you know, people are making things work where they really want to box. And I think it's it, in a bad situation, we're getting some good outcomes. And as long as we concentrate on them good outcomes, I think boxing can get a lot of good stuff out of it. And you do get fighters as well who decide on a, a kind of change attack, if you like. I, I had one last night, Jack Eubank, who was pre-COVID 4-0, boxing out of the home corner. All fights he should have won, and he did win. He would have been on ticket deals. He would have been expected to sell tickets. And he decided during the pandemic, rather than just not box at all, to go and fight in the away corner. Um, and he he was in again last night. So he's 4-4 four and four now, but he boxed well last night. He was in with a, a good a good fighter in, in Saqib Khan, gave him a good tussle. And we'll see him again. There'll be there'll be more work out there for him um, should, he, should he choose to take it. So... We've seen a bit of that as well, haven't we? Fighters thinking, okay, well, I do want to box. I want to keep going. I could put myself in the shop window a bit here. I'll take my stall over to the to the away corner. 
Well, the thing is as well, he'll probably enjoy the fact that if you're a boxer, for whatever reason, you like a fight. And he's probably enjoying the fact no pre- nobody likes selling tickets. Nobody likes the, the real big pressure of being at home and stuff. He's probably thinking to himself, I've got nothing to lose. I ain't got to sell a ticket. I'm earning more money and I'm having a fight. And they're the kind of lads like, rather than your out-and-out journeyman who do it literally as a job, these kind of lads, I prefer, you know, they're going to come along and still give it a go because they still class themselves as a prospect themselves. Just because they're in the away corner, they don't think I'm not a prospect. Some of the journeyman lads have got it down to a fine art, but there's more of these lads out there now because there's nothing like a pandemic and no work to make you say, oh, I can earn seven or 800 quid for a 12-minute fight when there's no work about it. I just think there's lots of positives. There's so many negatives, but we can dwell on negatives all day, but there are positives coming out of it. And as long as we concentrate on them, as long as we work at them and don't overreach ourselves, I think we'll see some good stuff coming out of it. And I think we're starting to. I think we're starting to see good stuff coming out of it. Yeah, and he'll be learning, that kid you're talking about there, John. Like, So, you know, all right, he knows he's going in the deep end. He knows he's supposed to lose. He's not going to lose. He's not a journeyman. He's not going to survive, get through rounds. He's still going to win, but he knows he's up against it. So he didn't go his way. He didn't get the win. He'll have learned from that fight because that was a tough fight where he was thrown in, let's say. All right, he lost another one. Again, he'll have learned from it. When he comes back to, when he comes down a level or two now and gets back in the corner where he's supposed to win, he'll have improved tenfold, I guess. Got, you know. Guys he might have lost to four or five <clears throat> fights ago, he'll suddenly beat with ease, with his experience he's getting. And he, yeah. and it's just, it's just, it's just, there's a lot of, when you look for them, there's a lot of good points that are coming out of a bad situation. It's just that you've got to look for them. We can, we can be doom and gloom and look at the bad stuff because there's plenty of that. But there's lots of good stuff coming out. Like there's there's lads back in the gym. One of my lads who won Ultimate Boxer the other week, Corey Gibbs, when it was all there and it could all happen, he kind of played at boxing and went in and out. And, and then he suddenly, I think the pandemic made him kind of go, man, this could be took away from me. And he suddenly took it a lot more serious. He got on his game and went up there and won Ultimate Boxer and he's now being signed by Sky. And, and suddenly things are looking rosy. Sounds crazy. Without the pandemic, he might not have got the, the kind of encouragement. Sorry, chaps. People trying to ring me. You can tell there's a show tomorrow. Without the pandemic, he might not have got that encouragement to up his game and show what he can really do. And again, there's so many positives out there. Hey, hey, ki- hey, kids. Hey, everybody. Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in hell, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called The Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desiring Capital Podcast, coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! I think that, you know, look, historically, there's always been, and, and more so at different phases of time, but where, you know, promoters, managers, they want to get a prospect and they want to guide him and develop him and they want to keep him unbeaten and, and you know, promotionally and from a marketing point of view, having that O next to your name is one of the most powerful things because there's no limits to what people's imagination 
is to how good you might be. Once you've been beating people to say, oh, that's his level, or yeah, he's good, but he got beat by him, or whatever, you know. Or, and maybe from a ticket selling point of view, everyone's buying into the dream. All of a sudden you lose one. Oh, well, it was close. We'll get over it. They go again, lose again. Ah, it's not as good as we thought. And it dies off and it becomes harder. But really, if you think about it in boxing, if you look at football, you play every week. Man United or Chelsea or whoever aren't going to win every week. You know, they're going to get beat and that doesn't mean they become a shit team. Or you might have a stinker as an individual player. You didn't become a bad player, you had a bad day. <clears throat> in boxing, you lose. When do you box again? You know, and, 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 and it's so, you know, it takes time. And if you've really built up good momentum and you have a bad loss, it takes time to get back to where you were. So people are scared of losing because of the consequences of what a loss means. Now, if, you know, you don't become a bad fighter overnight. You definitely don't become a bad fighter if you're losing a great fight to another good fighter. You'll be, you will become a better fighter. You didn't become a bad, less fight. You become more, you become better. But marketing and promotionally, it's almost like you're thrown on the scrap heap. It, it, it's, people are fickle. People and if, are fickle. You believe, if you believe the fans who suddenly say, oh, well, these must be no good. A lot of fighters suddenly believe the hype and the fans, and it well, makes them feel a bit less. You've well, got this is where confidence. I'm going. This is where yeah. I'm going, John. So for me, the, 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 the thing that happens, the worst thing that happens, obviously there's the promotional element of things and the marketing element of things, and you know that that can take a hit. But I think, as a, forget all that for a minute, the negative effects that a loss or a couple of losses or a few losses can have on a fighter. Um, is they get into a bit of a loser's mentality. They start believing that they can still get there. They think, oh, well, I lost to him and I've lost a few. It's not going to happen for me now. And confidence That's the worst is everything. Thing. That's the worst thing that can happen. Most, got, most, most of the time, I think, when a lot of fighters, when they're shot, some are shot because they're physically shot, you know, miles on the clock, whatever. Sometimes they're shot because the ambition's gone, the excitement's gone, the driver's gone, the belief has gone. That's what's shot. More so than the, the actual physical ability. That's exactly to right. Exactly right. And, and yeah. you know what? It doesn't help with the social media age that people are cramming it down your neck that you're not that good because they can't wait to tell you if you stumble. You know, they can't wait to tell you that they was right all along. And it takes a really special person to kind of say, I still believe in myself. And it's so easy for them to slip behind it. it, it it's not so kind of the outside influence of social media and media and stuff like that can ruin an athlete and actually ruin what they're doing. So, you know... Let's just pick one example now because he's a bit more high profile and, you know, he's lost loads. Gabe Rosado, you know, he he lost a competitive fight there against James uh, Munguia. But the the fight before that, I can't think who it was now, but he had a really big win, didn't he? The Bully. The the Russian nickname, The Bully. Yeah, it was Bektomir Melikuziev. Yes, he nicknamed the bully. Was, was yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Him. That's him. But you know, he. I'm gonna. And I say Gabe Rosado because it, you know he's a throwback in these times. He, he's from Philadelphia, and I'm gonna mention another name, Russell Peltz, one of the best matchmakers promoters in boxing. Not as high profile as Bob Arum or Don King or these people, but boxing anoraks will know about the Blue Horizon and the seventies and, and and the shows that were put on there. I seen a tweet off Russell Peltz a couple of weeks ago, and he said. I didn't promote fighters. I promoted fights. You know, he made great matches. So you knew if you were a boxing fan in the 70s in Philadelphia, you were going to a show at the Blue Horizon. 
you weren't going to watch Joe Bluggs in the red corner or, or whoever in the blue corner. You were going to watch a great fight because you, you knew You were going to watch the whole show? You the whole show? The whole show, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we try and do that, you know. We try and do that on our little Birmingham shows while we put fights together. And, like, people have said to me, oh, you're matching them a bit hard for a prospect. And I say, look around the room. Our room's full. I say, look at our lads. I said, they all know how to fight. They might not have perfect records, but one of my fighters turns up, an east side fighter turns up, and people know, win or lose, they know how to fight. They haven't done that by winning every single fight. They've done it by learning how to fight. I was on about this the other day, Matt. And the mad thing is, you know, if you say to a fan, what's your favourite boxing movie? None of them will say a movie where someone won all 30 fights and was the favourite in every fight and, and looked amazing. They'll all say Rocky. They'll all say, you know, Rocky's story up and down, the loser coming good, the person fighting back. Every single boxing fan will say Rocky, bar a few people who have watched Fat City or something. But when it comes to real boxing, they all want to support the, the glorious winners. Nobody wants to support the real-life Rockies. Nobody wants to buy a ticket off the real-life Rockies. It's crazy how entertainment-wise, they want to watch Rocky 1, 2, 3, 4, 7, 8, 9, 12. But fan-wise, they want to watch Floyd Mayweather and they want to have Floyd Mayweather T-shirts. I, I, I don't quite understand that, how what entertains them in fiction, they've got it in real life, like with a Gabe Rosado, with a Sam Eggington. I, I, saw, I got to Channel 5 interested in Sam because they wasn't, by saying, which is the most popular boxing film, Rocky? I said, you've got a real-life Rocky here. I said, he comes out looking like Rocky. I said, he fights like Rocky and he's had to come back from situations. And they was going like, Okay, we'll give it a try. Then luckily, Sam fought Belal Jakitu, and we had a fucking real life Rocky kind of fight on their hand, so it worked. But why do fans in fiction love the roller coaster and the underdog? But in fact, they kind of don't support them. What do you think? What, what do you think why that is, lads? I don't know. I think it's people just. I don't know, but it, it's true. I, I remember years ago we spoke, John, when you started out, and uh, you know. You want you're training all you were training all the lads, you're managing all the lads, you're pro putting on the show. You want your lads to win and you've got a relationship. But I remember like you'll have some lads that were selling loads of tickets and you'll have had other lads that weren't. And I'm like, really, the lad who doesn't sell any tickets is, is it's, it's just unfortunate for whatever reason, maybe the other kids old man got a groundworks company in the sell. You know, you don't know why some people sell tickets more than others. They've got to follow, but I said whoever's boxing has to bring value now. The guy who doesn't sell any tickets, okay, he's not adding money to the show, but maybe that's the guy that has a 50-50 fight and he brings value from being in a bit of a ding-dong. The guy who's selling 300 tickets, obviously you don't want to get him beat, so you're going to, especially not at this stage, so you're going to give him an easier one, but at, in, in whichever way it is, they've got to bring value to the show. Yeah. Yes, yeah, they've got to have that excitement factor. We had um, Corey Gibbs, his younger brother, not the biggest of ticket sellers. And we had another unbeaten guy called Clayton Bricknell. And I'm trying to put them both on. It's really struggling. And I said, lads, I says, the fans need to see what you're both capable of. I said, why don't you fight each other? I said, it'll, be, it'll look exciting to unbeaten fighters. I says, we can do a six-rounder. I said, you ain't got to worry about tickets because it'll be fine. And fair play, they both went in. Corey uh, Town won the decision. And his fans started to build. Clayton come back as a as a winner uh, in the next one, but it didn't really affect his fans. And it's things like that where they've got to take a chance. 
if your ticket sales are not huge and you want to build that fan base to get on TV or get a total fight, you've got, like you say, you've got to have some value somewhere, not just for the promoter. You've got to give the fans value. Boxing fans are not stupid and it's not cheap. The fans are not going to keep spending 45 quid to watch someone, even if it's their mate, win a sure thing. They want to be entertained. And if you give them an entertaining fight and lay it on the line and give them that bit of risk and that bit of fear, they will respond by coming to watch you more. And, and I think people are starting to realise this as well with the pandemic. Because there was less shows, the people who was getting the slots was the people who was willing to take a chance. And I really think that hopefully we've kind of opened up a good door in the fact that lads have seen if I want... River Wilson Bent got onto Mick Hennessy's show by fighting an unbeaten kid. He chinned him. Mick Hennessy turned around and says, I want to have another look at him. I matched him with another unbeaten kid, and this is a serious ticket seller. He stopped him. Mick Hennessy signed him. Without him taking them two fights against unbeaten kids, he wouldn't be signed. So, you know, people are realising, take a chance. It's You know, you don't get reward with no risk. That's just a fact in life. Unless you're born into a rich family or something, you do not get reward without taking some kind of risk. It's up to you to make the risk hopefully lesser than the reward, so it's 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 worthwhile. But you don't get reward without taking a risk, and boxing is the same as is real life. The more risk you take, the bigger the reward if you if your manager knows what they're doing. And if it comes off, you suddenly find yourself at the top of the pack and going, I wish I'd have done this two years ago instead of wasting my time on four rounders that I couldn't lose. Well, John, tell us about the um, situation you've got tomorrow night. You, you told, told me briefly on the phone about the kid who pulled out. The, is it the Latvian kid? Yeah, yeah. Um, you mean the, the main event? Yeah. Well, the, basically, my guy who was fighting because this, pulled you know, out. this 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 will give people an insight to how the small hall shows work and how an opportunity can happen. Well, basically, uh, my guy was in the home corner fighting Avaldus Corsicus. Corsicus was selling a few tickets to earn a bit of commission, but he's in the away corner. So my guy pulled out, and it was a genuine reason. We've got it rescheduled. And then Lee Eaton contacts me and says, well, my guy will do this. He wants a total fight. He can't get one. I said to Avaldus, Roy, I can't pay you exactly what I was paying before, but I'm happy to keep you on if you can sell a few more tickets and you're still on a decent wage. He was over the moon. He's gone out. He's busted his balls to sell some more tickets. He's now in the home corner. He's still fighting for a title where most promoters would say, well, if my guy's not involved, why spend the money? It's turned out it's not going to cost us any money. It's not going to make us any, but we've got an English title fight top of the bill. And this is why the fans come to our shows, because rather than just going, oh, well, it's not making any money. Let's get rid of that fight. We've, we've, we've pulled a few strings. We've, we've met in the middle with the two managers. And now they've got a really interesting English title fight still top of the bill. And our shows are selling really, really well. You know, like, I've seen you some of the clips, haven't I, Matt? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen them really big, well. These shows are trying... packed out. They're packed out. The crowd are on their feet. That you know, and that that'll only happen. That'll only happen if there's good action going on in the ring. You well, know, Matt, they, remember all... when you was managing that kid, um, Natty Howell, unbeaten kid? Yeah. And he called out one of my fighters on a show, and uh, my fighter was a, a big, huge ticket seller, and um. I run Max and I says, you've got an unbeaten kid. I've got an unbeaten kid. They're calling each other out. Let's, let's let them have it. So we matched them up. They had a great little fight. My guy got it by a couple of points, but it was a cracking fight. But the whole hall was full because it generated real interest because there's not many people, managers-wise, who would take an unbeaten kid 
after three or four fights and the other kid has five or six who can sell tickets and pitch them in against each other. Me and Matt had a picture in the ring with the two lads and we were just like, what a great fight. They'll both learn. And that's what our shows have got a reputation for. We're not afraid of a loss. We do our best to get the wins. And it's kind of rubbed off on the lads because they've looked round and they've seen the kind of lads who go forward on our shows are the lads who take their risks. They get noticed by TV guys and they will get a chance. And like Matt kind of realised the same thing when he was having a, having managing a few fighters. He went to me, yeah, let's put them in. They've called it on. They both won it. Let's see what happens. And the one kid won by two points. That's not a fucking loss. That's just a learn. That's just an experience. That's a crowd seeing a good fight. And that's where people have got to stop trying to treat it as a business. You've got to have that. It's got to be a business because you can't lose money and just keep doing it. But you've got to have that bit of passion because the fans are paying good money. So you've got to have that. And when you get two boxing people who know each other and who enjoy a bit of friendly competitiveness, that's when you see great fights. Because me and Matt was looking at each other going, right, let's see what happens here. And I was just saying, oh, it's going to be a repeat of the chess game. Sorry, Matt. And, you know, <laughs> but, no, but, and, but, you know, joking aside, and we had a big crowd, and our crowds are good at, at our shows because that's what we aim for. And hopefully the, the pandemic, maybe one bright point of it, has encouraged that kind of stuff because it's had to. People have had to adapt. And hopefully it goes forward because I'm not looking to change it anytime soon. I want to keep the same quality. And hopefully the lads who are earning them chances are getting snapped up by the Channel 5s and the Sky Sports because they're recognising as well. Perhaps they're not Olympians, but they've just been three or four unbeaten kids on small shows. They must be worth investing in. So, you know, we've got to hope that it, we can build good stuff out of bad. Do you know what I mean? Just a few things to to, to pick up on there. Matt mentioned uh, Russell Peltz. I've just, just got this book. I was just about to say, I'm sure he's got a new book, eh? $30 and a cut, I 50 years in boxing. So I'm looking forward to, to getting stuck into that. You, you mentioned the risk versus reward equation there, John, and that's absolutely crucial. It's much like this podcast. We take an enormous risk getting you on every time. But the reward, the reward is huge, not just I for us, but for the... I don't think it's a risk anymore. I, but... I think I'm like that guy who sells 500 tickets <laughs> against anyone, and I don't think it's a risk anymore. But also, I, you were talking about, and I never really thought about this, the idea that what people are drawn to in fiction, they don't seem to be drawn to in fact. And, and and it's a really, it's a really good point. I think over the last few years, things have got very binary, just generally in, in sport. They have been for a while maybe, but, but just across society more widely, either you're for something or you're against it. And with sports fans, a lot of the time, somebody's either the best. And if they don't think they are the best or at least could be the best, then they're shit. You know, that that's just kind of how people, how people think about things and boxing does have this kind of strange relationship with with defeat basically because you can arrange your own fixtures and you can do your best to keep someone unbeaten in other sports you can't really you can't really do that um i read a really good quote from jack nicholas a, a while ago and golf's different obviously because a win is you have to win the whole tournament to to win you're not just playing one-on-one against somebody all the time but um, Paul McGinley was was talking about it, former Ryder Cup captain. He said he went out with Jack Nicklaus early in his career for dinner. A uh, few people around, was pretty starstruck, didn't really say anything. Um, and then at the end of the dinner, Jack Nicklaus just, just said to him, piece of advice for you. I'm the best to ever play this game and I only win 10% of the time. Um, and boxing's just kind of, it's not like that, is it? You know, no, defeat. It, it, it's strange. It's strange. If you give a boxing fan a film of their favourite fighter, They'd walk out of the cinema after 20 minutes. 
you know, if you give him a, a film of like, well, he's going to win all these easy, then we're going to pick the best fights. We're going to make sure he has the ones that suit his style. He's going to win them quite comfortably. People would walk out of the cinema after half an hour. They'd go, this is fucking rubbish. Yeah, in sport, that's what they want to see. Yeah, if you give a boxing fan their favourite boxing film in real life, Rocky, and say we're going to have a roller coaster, we're going to go up and down, it's a guy from around the corner from you, he's, he's down on his luck, he's just met his first girlfriend, he's saving for his marriage, they'd all go, fuck that, I'm not buying a ticket for that clown. Yeah, it wins Oscars and everyone wants to watch it every time it's on every bank holiday. It's really odd and I'm hoping that like, people are going to look at themselves and start assessing their life and buying tickets for my shows more, to be honest, after that revelation about Rocky. But do you know what it is? Do you know what it is? I'll tell you what it is. It, it, it's, it, it's one word, hype. People buy into hype. So the undefeated, ah, oh, he's going to be the next three-weight world champion, he's Olympic on. Ah, oh, they're excited by hype. It's like a ticket. You know, when you're selling tickets for a fucking a small hall show, I know you, you've got it down to a T now, John, and you put the things and you've, you've built a reputation and it's a good show, so you've got that going. But let's say a young kid turning pro trying to shift a few tickets. It's fucking hard work. You know, it he, really he, is. he's nearly trying to fall out of his pals if there's a boy one type thing where you get two people then where, where the, there's the, there's a, I don't know, a, George Groves, Frutch, the second fight, because of what happened and everything, the hype. You couldn't get a ticket. 60,000, how many, 80, whatever it was in Wembley. You could not get a ticket. There was people that were mad for tickets to go to that fight that never go to a fight ever because there weren't, it was the hype they were buying into. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And when you when someone's undefeated, it's a lot easier to create the hype where when someone's maybe had 10, won seven, last three, that eh, the hype, the bubble's been burst. You know yeah. what I mean? But when someone's undefeated, that bubble keeps getting bigger and bigger. You can keep growing that hype. Yeah, it's no, funny though. True. I do. I do think another aspect to it is that people just, particularly now with with social media and everybody trying to put their lives online, people want to be associated with with winners. Somehow they feel that reflects on them. Everybody wants to put out this image of how their life is going spectacularly well, twenty four hours a day, and that's that's not real. I mean, we all know that's not real. It's much easier to identify, surely, with someone who's happy to open up about a few struggles. And and I think we are getting there in that regard. I, I remember probably about 20 years ago, there was there was a real sort of shift in, in sporting autobiographies. Like prior to that, it was I scored my first hat-trick when I was seven and then just a list of stuff they'd done and it was boring. Um, do, do you know what and, it is as well though, Andy? What it is as well though? Because uh, I, I just want to interrupt, so be, sorry to interrupt you, because just in case I forget, it, TV companies want to want to put on World class, the best, you know, because he's on TV. It's a, you know, this is the best of the sport, right? But you know, once a guy's lost a few, they think, oh, he's not as good, and they're on to the next one. It's ruthless. They're moving quick. You lose you one. Know, do you know, you know what it. though, Matt? Do you know what? You're exactly right there in sports. But do you know what's strange? TV companies doing the X Factor. If somebody comes out with their VT and says, "Well, I've won every talent contest I've been in. I'm brilliant. I'm going to do really well. Nobody can beat me. I'm unbeatable." Everyone will be like, "Get rid of that clown!" They come on and they say, "Oh, my nan's died. My dog's dead. The next door neighbour's house blew up." And that's how they win. Yeah. Anything else, they kind of sell the bad luck and things going wrong to get people invested. In boxing, it seems to be unless you are the absolute best, nobody's going to be interested in you. It, like, like you look at X Factor, if you go on there as Floyd Mayweather, you're not getting past the first round. So it's interesting point, John. So, and, and I was I was going to get to it. So, 
in in uh, in boxing, in television, Rocky, Million Dollar Baby, it's struggle, it's up, it's down, it's human emotions up and down, it's life stories, 24-7 programs. Why were they so good and why did they push the pay-per-view? It wasn't because he was hitting the pads. It was because oh, his backstory is this or his missus left him and his trainer was ill or whatever it was. You know, it's that it's it's um, facing adversity and different things and struggle that most humans can relate to in some shape or form. But from a TV point of view, as in the main event or putting on a show, like you know, for example, HBO. I, I had four or five back-to-back fights on HBO. You, you know, it, they wanted to be the pinnacle of boxing, world-class boxing. So they, they might have had some guys on there that might necessarily have been the most flamboyant of personalities or might not have had the best story in the world, but they're the best of the best of the best. And it's all the best and it's world-class boxing. You know, it's like the Premier League. It's the Premier League. You know, maybe that's a bad example. But what I'm saying is in boxing, you know, if... if some of these guys that have lost a few that are thrown on the scrappy because they're lost and people think there's a limit to where they're going to go now. But if the TV actually went into it and done their stories a little bit and put a bit, they called it shoulder programming. I don't know where Eddie was keen on that. Well, you're actually, you know, showing who these people are, telling these people's stories a little bit, not just showing them boxing, but actually showing their stories. You're developing their marketability then by doing that. But, a lot of the time, TV, all TV companies only want to develop the story if it's a pay-per-view event. The other problem you've got there is, Matt, some of the very best boxers are the best boxers because they're boring bastards. Mm. You know, the very best boxers run, go to bed, eat the right food, train, repeat. The guys who are a bit wild and who would make good TV don't live the life. So it's kind of like if we get to know them, we find out that these they're really boring, and that's why they're so good at the craft. But the ones that are really interesting, your, your Randall Tex Clark Cobbs, your Arturo Gattis, ultimately, they run up against someone who lives a boring, perfect life, and the interesting story goes out the window because they get walloped. So it's kind of a catch-22. It's really tricky. I just think buy, buy tickets for all boxing shows that are at Aston Villa. Start there and just move on. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's a really it's a really interesting conversation. And and what I was going to say was that with with the autobiographies, you had these this genre where it would just be a list of achievements essentially, and then they shifted to kind of being warts and all. And there was Tony Cascarinos and Tony Adamses, and you got a real look at what actually happened. And it was just so much more so much more interesting. But but you're right with the with the TV TV aspect of it, you would have to put so much into telling that story to really build it. And an example of that is, is I've, I'm not the only one. There's loads of people who've been talking about this for a while. And now that the prize fighter formats back, back with boxer, it'd just be so good to see, uh, to see uh, a journeyman prize fighter, a journeyman boxer tournament when they were all in there looking to win because we all know they can fight. And I remember talking to Eddie about this probably seven or eight years ago. And he just said, you just can't sell it because you put their records up on the screen and you just can't sell it. That will be enough. People will see that, and that will be enough for them to turn over before they even get a chance to kind of find out what it is. Hey, everybody. This is Moto G Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. 
you know, you're right. I mean, and there was a, it's, it's, it, John mentioned made a point there a while back, a couple of few minutes ago. He said, boxing's a business, but it's also a sport. Do you know what I mean? Now, if you're if you're in if you're in snooker and you're the most you don't even you don't even you've got no personality, no charisma, no whatever. You can might even have a boring style. It doesn't matter as long as you win the tournament. You're going to get X amount. Same with golf. Same with tennis. But in boxing, you know, depending on how charismatic you are, what you're excited, how exciting your style is. If you're undefeated and the hype's good, that's going to reflect on. You know, how many people buy a ticket? How many people tune in uh, to watch it or buy a pay-per-view? What sponsorships come? So you, what you earn is going to be directly proportional to the interest you, interest you generate. Now, let's say you're a great fighter. You know, you, you hear stories now. You've heard, <laughs> you'll, have, you'll have both heard uh, interviews, certain promoters talking about, um, you know, Canelo or whoever being... Um, franchise champion because they move the needle and they can dictate. So from a business point of view, yeah, I get it. And they shouldn't have to do mandatories because who's this mandatory? He doesn't bring anything to the table. He's not going to generate money. No, but this is a sport. And if Joe Bluggs, who's from wherever, who sells fuck all tickets and has got no charisma, he's very shy and quiet or whatever, and he doesn't have a massive story and he doesn't sell anything and loads of people aren't going to buy into him, but he's exceptionally good. Well, this is a sport. He deserves his shot. Do you know what I mean? Matt, it's, Matt, it can't let, all be black and white business. Yeah, Matt, I, do get, I understand the business as much as anyone, but I also realise it's still a sport as well. So we can't be all business and lose the sporting element. And the sporting element is fair play. And it's hard enough. But if that person wins and wins and gets himself into the mandatory position on merit, the guy deserves his shot. Matt, let me tell you a story there that backs up exactly what you're saying. You know when Craig Cunningham beat a go-go? Yeah. We was told if, if you take that fight, we'll have a big fight for you. It didn't come about because Craig's a safe ball. He just beat a go-go, which I think put a few noses out of joints. So he had no fight for the WBC International. Well, that was Craig's <laughs> belt. About six months down the line, I get an email from some of the like the guys underneath at WBC. Are we going to strip Craig Cunningham for not defending his title? And I was like, hang about. They stripped Jason Wildborn in the same circumstance. He just took it. I says, hang about. Craig Cunningham is ready, willing and able to fight. You give us a mandatory, put it to purse bids. He'll go anywhere in the world to fight anyone. They went, no, no, that's up to you. I says, no, it's not. I said, are you telling me that a boxer, to win one of your titles, has to have a rich promoter to be able to put the fights on afterwards? I said, he's not saying he's got to be the home guy. I said, and, and it was going back and forwards, and I was having none of it. And then luckily, I had the main guy, you know, Mauricio Sullivan's email. So I CC'd him in on one of the things and put my argument forward. I said, this is a guy who's proud to win the WBC title. I said, he will fight anyone, anywhere. I said, he will accept any purse bids that get ordered. I says, we cannot afford to put him on with the sanction fees because we're not a TV promoter. I says, does it mean that people without TV backing cannot be a WBC champion? Fair play, Solomon come down like a hammer. He turned round, he went, right, this guy, this is being reversed. He's not being stripped. Get him a mandatory, order it, and he will fight. He says, the WBC is not about this. He says, this is a guy who's won our title, is proud to watch it. And the guy underneath him was like, oh, no, no, I didn't mean that. And I thought, yeah. you lying bastard, I've just yeah. had three days of arguments with you 
where they stripped Jason Walborn because nobody jumped in with the arguments. But I was like, no, we're not having this. And, 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 and luckily, the main guy got involved and says, no, we're not about that. If he's prepared to go anywhere in the world, order a fight and he'll take it. If he doesn't take it, then he can be stripped and nobody can complain. And we got a fight in, um, against some guy from Uzbekistan who was shit hot, and he pulled out on us in the end. But, you know, we kind of kept the title. But they was turning it into a business. The boxer mm-hmm. was who was the champ. Because he didn't have a TV backer to put a fight on, they were prepared to strip him of his title. But luckily, we managed to get the main head honcho to step in and say, not on my watch, basically. But yeah, they tried to turn it away from the sport into the business. And we had a real fight over like about four days of constant emails just to get Craig to keep his title. Because it is a, it is a, it is a sport and it is a business. And listen, when there's money involved, you know, all sorts of shit happens, doesn't it? But it's got it's got to be careful because it, it is it is it is a sport and it is business, but it can never be so much about the business that we lose all element of sport and fair play and, and people cha- having the right to earn their shot. The champion or a champion loses his belt. Well, Demetrius Andrade, Demetrius Andrade. Let's look at Demetrius Andrade. That situation, good fighter, world amateur champion, slick southpaw. Not the most flamboyant personality, nice kid, but you know what I mean. He hasn't, he, from a markability point of view, he ain't, a, he ain't a ten out of ten, is he? Let's be honest. So it is. He struggled because people are looking at him thinking, mm, he doesn't bring. He's, yeah, he's a champion. There's a belt, but he ain't going to bring a lot of money to the table. I might get beaten because he's very good, very difficult to beat. Not only even if I do win, I might look shit because he's got one of those styles, like. Where's the reward in this for me? A bar the world title being on the line, there are probably easier routes where I can earn a lot more money. And even if I lose, it's going to be a great fight and my stock will stay high. So Demetrius Andre is high risk. And even though he's a world champion, he's low reward. And he's been a victim of his own success and his own abilities or his shortcomings in other areas, say from a marketability point of view, where he's just, he's been swerved. He's been yeah. blatantly, unashamedly swerved. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 yeah. always terrible. It's like, I mean, I feel sorry for him, you know. And then other times you feel frustrated, like you know, he ends up coasting. He drops Luke Keeler in the first round, and he coasts for twelve rounds. And it's like you feel like getting him and saying, "Mate, don't you understand? You're in the Who Needs Him Club. You can't coast for twelve rounds." Well, he yeah, seems to realise that, that in his last fight, doesn't he? He seems yeah. to realise in his last fight that he had to be yeah, more yeah, entertaining. Yeah. But you know what I mean? It's like if, if you're managing that Andre, you're going to say to him, listen, no one's batting for you. Everyone's running from you, like swerving you like the plague. You can't coast for 12 rounds. When you're in there, you've got to fight like the challenger because you need to put yourself in a situation where, you know, people are talking about you. At the minute, no one wants to mention your name. Another example, another example at a lower level proving that point, Matt, We've got a lad called Casey Benjamin. And Casey's very skillful, very awkward. And he's also very good at what he does. And he was beating people on points. And he was like, yeah, I've won it on points. I've done a good job. I ain't been it. And we got him a uh, go on TV. And he won some, beat someone on points, boxed really well. And we had to turn around to him and say, Case, you can punch, you can fight. TV are not interesting people who win on points. And we sat him down and we really explained it. And he would have been happy to just box away. His last three fights, he's knocked all three out. It's clicked in his head. We said, if you want to get regular on TV and make a point, you've got to start turning the screw. 
And he's gone out with a bit of nastiness and he's knocked three out on the trots. And all of a sudden, people are going, where's this kid come from? And I'm like, he's the same kid who was beating everyone on points. Do you know what I mean? So it, it proves exactly what you're saying there. It's like, it's kind of mark of the same fighter, but just make a few like little changes and all of a sudden they're a TV fighter, the exact same person. But sometimes someone's got to have a whisper in their ear and tell the fighter it might be a little bit more risky to go for that knockout, but risk-reward, the reward's going to come if you take that more risk. And that's what sometimes someone's got to tell them. Yeah, no, I agree completely. It's, it, it, yeah, 100% John. Going off on a tangent, just for a little bit of entertainment for your, uh, for you two, um, Mick Hennessy's last show, uh, the not the shotgun one, you know, the one where Sam had that absolute yeah. crazy war. Well, we're you know, Mick always gets a load of food back at the hotel afterwards and has all his special guests and the boxes and stuff back there. But half three in the morning, we're all sitting there, all chilling. We've all had pizza, chicken. We've had a load of wins. Ricky at, and as Ricky does, he's had a few sherbets and he's holding court with all of Michael Hennessy's mates. Now, Michael Hennessy's mates are in heaven. They've just been to a boxing show. They've had a night out. They're having a drink and they're sitting there with Ricky it's young Michael. Young. Uh, yeah, yeah, young, yeah, young Michael. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All his mates in the early 20s, they're all like, you know, that, that kind of going out kids from down uh, Kent Way. So, and Ricky Atten's playing them up. And they're all like, not drunk, but they're all boisterous. And the one kid's big kid has stood up. He's in good shape. He's good looking and all that. I, I hated him straight away. Do you know what I mean? But he stood up and he went, Ricky, he said, it's my ambition to take a body shot off you. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, well, this, this could be amusing. And Ricky's going, no, no, don't be silly. And the kid wouldn't let up. The crowd started chanting, go on, Ricky, go on. So Ricky stands up. And you know when you know, and they're all laughing and loving it, and the kids standing there tensing something, going, "I know I can do it." But you know when you know boxing, and you see a drunken Ricky Hatton suddenly shift his feet and <laughs> drop his shoulder. I thought, "Oh, this is going to be bad." Bend his knees. He bent his <laughs> knees, Matt. He took a side step round him, put a left hook to the pit of the stomach. The kid has folded like a deck chair. He's lying on the floor at three o'clock in the morning. All his fans, all, all his mates, the Ricky Atten fans, are chanting, you fucking wanker. Ricky Atten's walking <laughs> around the hotel foyer like he's just done uh, Castillo. The kid on the floor now can't breathe, but he's chanting as well, I'm a wanker, I'm a wanker. He had the time of his fucking life. But, you know, I just seen this subtle uh... shift, and I thought, oh, my God, Ricky's going to throw a proper body shot here. Bang! The guy went down like there was a sniper in the building, I swear to God. But, like... And then in the morning, the kid's there showing people his belly going, that's where Ricky Atten hit me. It was like the best thing that had ever happened to him. And I just thought to myself, I actually thought of you, because I thought to myself, I could definitely have seen Macklin doing that a few years ago, standing <laughs> up half cuts, suddenly going, hold on, I'm throwing a left hook to the body here. You're having it. And I just seen Ricky shift. And he was a big lad. And a big, and he went down like there was a sniper in the building. He was fucking amazing. It was mice. Oh, but, I love know, all of that. I love all of that stuff. It's it's just it's so entertaining because a conversation I find myself having quite often is with with friends who just reckon they got themselves into shape and not so much now because we're all getting a bit older. But ten years ago, and they say, "How you know I've been doing this and that in the gym? You know how long do you think I could last with name any kind of professional?" But it's usually a world champion because they're the ones they know, and they just say, "Listen, any good amateur fighter, it would last as long as they wanted it to. It's as simple as that. They would cut you in half in seconds." Oh, do you know what I always say? I always say to them, 
Peter Buckley and Christian Light have got about 530 losses between them. You wouldn't last a round with either of them. No, it wouldn't last a minute. Track. Yeah, it they wouldn't last a minute. But it, you know it, what the funny thing was? The kid was even more buzzing that Ricky actually sunk a body shot into him rather than played around. He was yeah. showing all his mates. He, he was down for about three minutes. I was thinking to myself, fucking hell, I hope he gets up. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> he, he was over the moon that he'd been dropped by Ricky at and he was half three in the morning. And I was thinking to myself, only in boxing would this happen. That like the fans are sitting there and they get an ex-world champion to drop him with a body shot in the middle of the holiday in, and everyone's cheering like they've just watched the best fight of the night. It was it was uh, it was good stuff. Uh, Ricky, sorry if I mentioned that, but it was a good body shot. We can put it on Bucktrek. <laughs> no, I saw him last night. I saw him last night. He was in Chloe Watson's corner. It just kind of touches on something that always does really entertain me. Um, <clears> so the jungle's just started again. So I've been watching that. Um, there aren't any fighters in it this time. Um, and there's only kind of David Ginola and, and Matty Harris, the diver, who I think are, are, are kind of athletes who are in it. But what always makes me laugh my head off is when I see an athlete, a former athlete, current, doesn't matter how long they've been retired, if they're retired, in that kind of reality setting. Because you're in an environment where there are loads of really competitive people and everybody reckons themselves to be a winner and all the rest of it. And there'll be a challenge where it's Macklin, say, against somebody else, but not from sport. They don't Mary understand. Berry off Bakey off or something. <laughs> Paul Hollywood off Bake Off. Let's, let's say that. Macklin Hollywood. Yeah. What they don't understand is that no matter how competitive they think they are, the other person is at this whole other level where there is nothing they wouldn't do to get that win. And sometimes you see the kind of look of shock and horror on their face when they realise this person who they think is their mate because they've been in, in the jungle with them for a few days, just absolutely savage them in any way they possibly can. It's, um, it's, I just find it enormously entertaining. And you know what, well, Andy, you know, saying that, you kind of see the shock on kind of the normal celebs' faces when they see the look in the eyes of a sportsman. That's it. That's it. And Absolutely. they suddenly know that, like, it's like when Sugar Ray Leonard took that guy out with a body shot who was meant to be doing an exhibition. And when Lloyd Donegan took um, a TV guy out in a, in a charity kind of show, they don't realise that once kind of a bell goes in a boxer's head, you're having it. You know what I mean? It's a, whether it's a cake-eating competition, whether it's jumping off a cliff, you once that competition bell goes, you're just... You're just the other person. You can be an 80-year-old bake-off chef. And as far as they're concerned, you're their next victim. You know what I mean? And that's what makes, you know, it's, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. It's just, it's, it's a little bit unfair sometimes when you see. Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the One Stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan, New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts, One Star Recruits. Uh, my favorite one, I think, I was watching I was watching one of these things. It was probably about 10 years ago, and it was it was a kind of winter sports one. It wasn't the jump, but it was something like that. And they had this race between Gavin Henson, who like 
international rugby player. And another guy who I think was an actor in really good shape, fit, was doing really well in the competition. So Henson's probably going to win this race. Like you've got to leg it down this snowy hill for a bit, then do some tobogganing or something like that. But it's not an absolute given because there were things that could go wrong. And they were thinking, you know, this could be close. This could be close. As soon as the whistle went, Henson just ignored the track, sprinted over to the other side of the track, aimed a flying shoulder barge at this, I think, soap actor, sent him sprawling into a snowdrift, winded and totally fucked, and then just ran off and won the race by miles. Because in his head, in his head, he probably just thought to himself, how can I guarantee I'm going to win here? And that's what he did. And the other person could not fucking believe it. And Macklin would 100% do that if he felt he needed to. 100% do do it. Do you know as well, when when Amir Khan ate them strawberries? Yeah, that's another brilliant one. You're dieting. You're putting a plate of strawberries in front of a boxer who's who's dieted properly and saying you've got the chance to eat these. And the worst that's going to happen is some people off a flower show is going to be in a bad movie yet. Amir Khan was always eating them strawberries. Imagine putting a cake in front of Macklin and saying, your camp mates might be a bit pissed off if you eat this cake. He'd be like, fuck them. He's about eating the cake, do you know what I mean? Uh, do you know, funny enough, you talk about a jungle, and you know, there's a couple of different ones there. With like, I, I can't stand snakes. Do you know what I mean? They make my blood just run cold, even if they're on a television. I'm terrified. And the rats in the coffin, I'm like, ah, oh, I just couldn't do it. And you know, people say, ah, oh, but the food. I said, I don't give a fuck. I've dieted hard. Yeah, I, yeah, I, can go, I can go days without eating if I have to. <laughs> yeah. I think we should get you on dancing on ice, Matt. <laughs> No, you're joking. And you're, I can't even dance on normal ground. Ah, that's a point. The only time I've ever, the only time I've ever seen you dance, you've had a few sherbets, haven't you? And you don't have them now, so exactly. But when you've when you've had a drink, I've been like dance. the Tin Man of uh, Wizard of Oz. You need you need some lessons off Soggy. He can dance. I don't so believe Soggy that. Soggy can seriously dance. Honestly, he would win them competitions. Hilarious. Well, just bringing it back around to that that kind of discussion about competitiveness that you, you raised about ten minutes ago, we won't we won't keep you too much longer. But it's you're absolutely right. It it ha- it is a sport. It has to stay competitive. And I think I think over the summer, I think over the last few months, what we saw happen with the European Super League and how quickly that was rejected was largely because something was attempting to be introduced that wasn't competitive. And Pep Guardiola said it himself. He said, "If there's no com- competition, if there's no promotion." Or relegation, then you know that's not even that's not even sport. And and Matt, you're completely right about the mandatories. If you don't have them, then somebody who deserves their opportunity won't get it. It can't all be about marketability. And one thing I would love to see happen, I know it won't, you know, it's a theoretical discussion, but one thing I would love to see happen, because there's been far too many of them in recent years, is to see rematch clauses banned. You can't ban rematches. Of course, you should you should have a rematch if it was a really good fight. But if it was a great fight or it was close and they both want to do it again, of course. But rematch clauses, they're just clogging up the sport at the minute. Every Especially fight seems to have a rematch clause. When someone gets walloped and it's a rematch clause, you're just losing interest. There should be a rematch clause if there's controversy or an injury. Not just because someone got beat up and they won a second round. Do you know what I mean? But it's a funny one because what you're saying there, John, and you're right, but the, we wouldn't have saw the third Wilder fight if that hadn't have been a rematch clause and it was a ding-dong. Yeah, it was one of the best true. fights that's of the true. year. Yeah, that's yeah. absolutely true. Yeah. 
Look, yeah, you're right, though. It's one of them, isn't it? You, it? I see it from all points of view. Look, if you're a promoter and you've invested heavily into a certain fighter and he wins the title, you know, you don't want to just lose that title now. So generally, they, they used to put it out to three options. So not, so it's a way of keeping the belt. Do you know what I mean? So the champion would get his rematch clause. If they, beat, if they won that as well, they'd still have another two options because they're trying to keep a hold and a control of the belt. Maybe that's a bit steep. So I think a rematch clause, you know, it's a lot better than three options, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The thing is as well, though, I still think, really, you should be coming off a, off a win for, for, for a title fight. So even with a rematch clause, I think the person should have a win in between. I don't know, John. You know, it's been a ding-dong and it's a battle and it's close and it might even be a controversial decision. I think that's fair yeah, enough. No, Pratch, be yeah, Crutch Groves puts that one out. But I think there needs to be a call for a rematch. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there does need to be a call for one, to be honest. Yeah, maybe it goes to a vote, a committee within the sanctioning body or something. I just, I just think, you Not know... Automatic. Yeah, yeah, just having one because it's in a contract. <clears throat> you will lose fans because there's some fights where you're like, what do I want to watch that again for? Do you know what I mean? It, and it sounds mad, but if there was an upset first round knockout where someone got caught cold, I could see, hold on, there's a, a basis for a rematch clause there. When someone's lost every round of a 12-rounder and just been outboxed, I'm like, we've seen what we've seen. I can understand someone getting caught cold and give me another chance. Michael Dokes against Mike Weaver, you know, when he just rushed out and caught him in a minute. That did warrant a rematch and it was a good fight. But, the, you know, where someone has lost every round and because they've got a rematch clause, what, we've got to sit down and watch that all over again? You know, when um, what Ronald Winky Wright was coming over and really doing a job on some of the British guys in the 90s, would we have wanted a rematch clause to watch them fights again? They were masterclasses, but there was no entertainment in seeing them again, was there? You know, no. so I think there's got to be some of the mix. It's got to make sense. It's got to make people go, I need to see that again. Frotch Groves... The rematch sent it through the roof. It had to happen. Other fights, you know, would I mean imagine if Yeah, but John, I don't, I don't think they're thinking about the fans with the with the rematch clause. They're thinking about protecting where their position. And if they lose, they, they get another rematch. You know, I'm a champion. And if I'm giving now if you're mandated, yeah, but that's where the problem won't. comes. That's where yeah, I'm saying, like. Of course, but if you're not mandated, you haven't earned this shot by a mandatory position. You're a you're, yeah, you're a top ten fighter, but I'm choosing to give you this shot. Like, you know what I mean? I'll go with someone else then. I'll, you know, I want that. I want to protect my position. I know what you're saying, and I, and I take your point on board. But I, I, think, you know, I think there's points both ways, isn't there? There's arguments mm. for and against. I'm kind of like, I think there should be there, but just not automatically. I think there should be something where the world bodies turn around and say, we don't need to see that rematch. You've just lost every round, or you've just been outclassed, or you might get beat up worse in the rematch. I think there should be something where they can step in and say, no, you're you're not viable for the title at the moment, but and then there's other circumstances where they should step in and order them. They should step in and say, "Hold on, that weren't quite right." So it's it's a tricky one because there's arguments for and against, but just automatic ones for the sake of it, for the show and for keeping it safe. Sometimes it don't make great viewing, and if we keep going where it's not great viewing, we could end up with a great viewing figures. Then we're kind of I don't I don't know. I can see both sides to be honest. Yeah, me too. I can see I can see the arguments both ways. It just seems to be every fight I see now almost if there's if there's some kind of upset, then it's oh there's a rematch clause and 
you just think, well, you know, at some point, surely a win is a win and, and everybody just moves on. And if the two parties come together and decide, yeah, okay, we could, we could do that again. And like you say, there's, there's a demand for it, then, then happy days. Um, just to finish with then, you've got your show tomorrow. Yep. Just take us through what kind of happens in the world of the small hall promoter in the kind of 48 hours before, before a show, because sometimes an awful lot can happen. There are plenty of things that can go right. There are plenty of things that can go wrong. Uh, you've trod on this path many, many times, so you're probably relatively oh, zen well, about yes, it now, but, it, but it's busy, isn't it? Yesterday, we had um, a foreign boxer decide to tell us that he was taking a fight on another show with one of our big ticket sellers. So I got a replacement, which was, at the current climate, was mental. Three hours later... The How many phone calls, person. John? How many mm-hmm. phone calls before you got an opponent? Well, I was kind of lucky. It was the second one. But then, 30, about three hours later, I get a phone call off the board. <laughs> oh, that guy you've got as a replacement who's happy to come and save your ass, uh, is suspended for an issue. Tried to work that out, nothing. Then I had to make about 25 phone calls. The money got almost doubled. And we found someone to come and do the job. I had another pullout, um, not 48 hours, but a couple of days before. And that's where I said to the two lads, you can fight each other. That was the only thing we could come up with. We've had a lad who's, who's actually off the show. It was a nine fight show because we literally cannot find him an opponent. Everyone's been searching and shows are getting hit left, right and centre. So that's not great. So we've got there, we've got everyone in. We've done the job. Now, today, we've got a weigh-in at four o'clock. Before the weigh-in, we have the COVID tests. Then we put the lads who are travelling in the hotels. The other boxers go home, refuel. And then tomorrow, it sounds mad. Tomorrow's the easiest day. Mm. Once then COVID tests are passed and the weigh-in's done, tomorrow is basically, when you're not too kind of invested in like wins or losses because you just want your lads to box well and learn, tomorrow's the good bit. Everyone gets paid. Everyone fights. Some people you have to hug and tell them, don't worry about it. Other people you say, great, we're going to get you a Midlands area title shot. We've got a room full of fans, which is good. Hopefully they all enjoy it, which I think they will with the fights we've got on. So, yeah, so yesterday and the day before was absolute mind-boggling. Today's kind of like, fingers crossed, COVID tests. Wayne's, I've kind of double-checked everyone. If there's a pound or something, you figure it out. There might be 100 quid paid here or somebody has to skip a pound off. The day before, Wayne, is actually a boon with that that we're having to do because of COVID. But yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow's easy. All the hard work's been done. It's just the lads who have finally got to do some work now. And a phone call asking about that show. And then hopefully come eight o'clock, we've got eight fights ready to go. We'll have a great total fight. And the fans go home happy and say, you know, it was worth 35 quid. Also, shameless plug, Tommy Owens is one of the few promoters that has kept pre-pandemic prices. Our tickets are still £35 and 65 for the dinner tickets. Everybody else, you know, which is understandable with all the extra stuff, has gone to 40 quid and 75 So if you want value for money, or you won't get any value for money because we've got no tickets left, we've sold out. But we've got a show in February, don't miss out. I was going to say, John, is that you wrapped for the year now or...? I've still got to do McKenzie's show. Um, I've got to go down and doing the matching for that. I'm doing cuts, hands. And this is why I've had a shave. 
I went to the press conference for the last one. I'm sitting there, as you know, I'm not, I'm not a fucking male model anymore. You know, I've gone past that stage now. I'm sitting there, full beard. You, you, model, you, model, you, model, you model the odd balaclava, don't you? Mate, mate, <laughs> fucking, I'm, I'm modelling high heels, basically. I'm sitting there looking like a big issue seller, full beard, and they've gone to me. We can't get any of the big names. We can't get Macklin. We can't get Andy Clark. We've got Joe Lee doing the press conference. He's a bit new. Will you go on stage and be there in case there's a little stutter and they need someone to just talk boxing? And I says, look at me. I says, they're going to think that some vagrant has wandered onto the stage. So I'm sitting there. I wouldn't mind. I think it was done on purpose, trying to get a YouTube kind of summit viral going. They give me the tallest fucking stupid seat. You know them stupid rain seats? I thought, I just, I, I went and got a chair out the audience. I went, they're setting me up. John needed a stepladder to get on it. Yeah, they would just fall off. They was all fucking wobbly. So, so I've, and they've actually said to me, could you come and do that again? And I'm like, no, get a professional. So, yeah, so I'm doing that on Dece- December the 10th. And then I basically left December open. I had a little procedure about a few weeks ago. I couldn't cancel any of the stuff that was already done. But they did say to me, you'll probably be a bit tired. So I've made sure in December I've got plenty of time to rest. So when I was at the uh, Ultimate Boxer, I fucking still had 25 stitches in my side. And I was walking around and people was going to me, you look a bit pale. And I was thinking, I'll oh, just fuck off, will you? You know what I mean? I can't even explain <laughs> what's going on. I couldn't even get through the ropes. That's why I was having to lean in. I'll tell you a funny thing as well, because Soggy knows the thing I had done. I had like one of them, um, them defibs fitted. They found a little condition I reckon I've had for 20 years. And they've told me, the, the way you are, it's probably not going to be a problem, but it's better to be safe than sorry. And someone left a, a gum shield case on the side. And as I'm stepping up to help Soggy, I've kind of slipped on the gum shield case. Soggy shot round. He's left t- Corey. He thought I was having a fucking mad shot. Danger. And everything. <laughs> he thought I was going. I went, don't worry. I'm all right. And you could see his face went blank. But yeah, so when I was there, I was literally, I had five days in bed. And then I'd done a cuts course in the morning and drove to Liverpool. And I thought, ah, oh, that weren't too bad. They, they've overestimated it. Sunday, I was lying in bed thinking, I can't move. It was like someone had just pulled all the energy out of my body. So I've left December to be quite easy. Apart from mix one show, I'm literally going to have December off. I'm going to just take it easy. I think I deserve it. Might do a few Macklin's takes if your numbers are down. Christmas special. <laughs> well, no, you're always welcome. I think, yeah, I think you should. I think you should. I was, you texted me um, one morning and then in the afternoon, I saw a picture on social media of you in a hospital gown lying in a hospital bed. And you, I just you know what happened there? And I just saw Peg's a fucking lunatic. Like he's he's texting me about boxing, and he's um and he's not looking the best. But yeah, um, you know yeah that's that's there? you all over. Nobody was allowed in the hospitals, obviously, because of COVID. And my missus was like, kept saying to me, "Oh, text me as soon as you're out." So they sedated me, and it turns out they had to use double sedation. I don't take well to it, so it took two hours. So I've come out, and I didn't know what the fuck was going on. I'm still sedated, and in my mind. Rather than ring my missus, I thought it'd be much easier to let her know I'm okay by announcing it on social media that I'm okay. <laughs> I hadn't told anybody about it at all. So then people just see me in a gown with blood all over my chest doing, don't worry, I'm okay. And afterwards, I was like, oh, my God, I thought I've had that many well wishes. I can't just delete it because it'll look ignorant. Mm. Well, in my tiny mind under sedation, 
I thought the easiest way to tell my wife was I was okay was to put a picture on Facebook and become an Fuck off, John. You were just looking for a load of pity. <laughs> I didn't get it. All I got was DMs. People going, stop fucking about and get back to work. I didn't get uh, any pity at all. It was the least convincing I'm okay photo I've ever seen. You know, it, I it thought, was... to be fair, I thought... If you I know John's good. a good actor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought I looked pretty good after what I'd done through. So... No, but it's great to see you back up and about. I was worried. I was worried. I, but but I, but then again, I just thought, well, he's 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 okay enough to text me about the undercard of a show in three weeks. So he's probably he's probably going to discharge himself in about half an hour, and they'll find him wandering down Garrison Lane, you know, with the kind no, of drip with the drip the on the stand. Uh, what it was, I watched everybody who was on the ward, and the ones who dressed the salve and was out of bed got discharged. So the next morning, I made sure I could dress myself, got a bit of breakfast, and I kept walking up and down. And then the, the cardio guy come round. He went, oh, have you dressed yourself? I went, yep. He went, have you been on your feet? I went, yep, been walking up and down. He went, oh, you can go home then. Bang, I got my bag. I was out of there before they even gave me instructions or anything. It was fucking horrible. Surrounded by old men all night. It was like, it was like going to a boxing awards evening or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> no, it's all good now. Okay, great. Well, that's the perfect place to leave it, I think. So best of luck. Hopefully there are no last minute hitches or surprises. Oh, just one just one final one. In terms of the finances, it's did what happened the other day kind of not wipe out, but 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 knock a big chunk out of any profit you might make. I mean, how do you look at it financially? Do you just want to break do you aim to break even basically? Is that is that always well, this, your, your this, kind of this aim? This one, this one, um, when the title fight went wrong. We kind of says as long as we break even and it's a good show, that's sound. But to be fair, with the two lads fighting each other, even though we paid them extra, that's put a little bit of revenue into the show that's got us into the black, to be honest. And then any walk-up is a bonus. If you can go into a show in the black before you do a walk-up, and we always do a little raffle. We usually like raffle off a, a used pair of Macklin's pants or something. It's always a good prize, you know what I mean? Big money, big money. Yeah, oh, that, that, that's when that's when the, that's when the 30, 40 year old women start buying a lot of tickets, you know what I mean? Well, it's them, it's them uh, isn't it? We know we know what they spend on. If you can go in on the noise, slightly into the black, you know you're going to get a little pick up with a walk up and stuff. So we're actually in a better place than we thought we'd be after losing. A home title fight, do you know what I mean? So it's not too bad. Good, good. Well, like I say, best of luck with it. Best of luck with it all. And we will catch you again soon, I'm sure. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Matt, always good to see you. Um, we will be back next week with another one and we'll keep this going up until up until Christmas. So in the meantime, thanks for listening, everybody. Stay well and we'll catch you again soon. Back in town, I said, Jenny Diver, whoa, Sookie Tawdry, look out to Miss Lottie Lynch and old Lucy Brown. Yes, that light falls on the right, babe, not that Maggie's back in Podcast Network.